0: This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends.
1: Listen, stop trying to be somebody else. Don't try to be someone else. Be yourself and know that that's good enough. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to be like someone else. Don't try to act like someone else. Be yourself, be secure with yourself, rely and trust upon your own decisions, on your own beliefs. You understand the things that I've taught you.
0: Hello and welcome back to to Exvangelical, a show show examining the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. Today's guest is Kevin Garcia, a writer, podcaster, and all-around thoughtful guy. It's hard to summarize Kevin's story. Ultimately, it's a story of self-acceptance and finding God's love, but it took time to get there. It's very moving, but it's best told in his own words. A couple of notes, the language, the language in this one is a little blue, so don't play it around kiddos or people sensitive to profanity. Just use discretion, okay? Also, Kevin was recording from a public spot, so there was a lot of great background ambiance happening that I really dig and I hope you do too. On to the social stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at BRChastain. I'm a solid follow, so hit me up. You can also follow the, the show on Twitter at ExvangelicalPod. The show is also on Instagram at ExvangelicalPod, and Facebook at Facebook.com slash ExvangelicalPod. You can also support the show through a love offering at Patreon.com slash ExvangelicalPod. The show notes, all of our episodes as well as essays can be found at ExvangelicalPodcast.com. Also, be sure to tell your friends about the show. Tell your enemies, too, if they have similar sociocultural and religious packages as you. Finally, please rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps increase the visibility of the show quite a bit. I would really appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Exvangelical. This week, I'm talking to the um, writer, Kevin Garcia. He writes at the... KevinGarcia.com. Did you also- almost
2: call me the Kevin Garcia? <laughs> I did,
0: yes. I wish you would have. That the been Kevin brilliant. Garcia. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> He's also the host of the podcast A Tiny Revolution. Um, please uh, introduce yourself, Kevin. Welcome for... <laughs> I, hate, hey, I hate introductions. I'm sorry. No, no it's totally cool. <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: Like you said, I'm Kevin Garcia and I write a blog about faith and sexuality and American culture at thekevindgarcia.com. And I, uh, I also host the podcast, A Tiny Revolution, where we talk about pretty much the same things I talk about on my blog, but just in audio format. And it's a little bit more focused, at least it has been focused, on more marginalized identities. So uh, queer people, um, people of color, women, um, and just our own ways of celebrating our own tiny revolutions in our everyday life. Because a lot of times... Uh, we don't get to see the good that's happening in the world because there's so much shit happening. And so, this is like that podcast just kind of resulted as a, like, a way for me to push against the despair, as uh, my friend Liz Gilbert says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I say that lightly because I'm not actually friends with Liz Gilbert. <laughs> like, I feel like as I speak it out, I, I claim it, you know, name absolutely. it and claim it. Name it and I'm claim
0: like, it. Absolutely. Um, and you know her. Uh, her podcast is great. So Big Magic mm. is is wonderful. Oh, uh, it's such a <laughs> it's aspirational. How good yeah. how, how good it is. Yeah.
2: Eventually, we will be that big.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
2: as podcasters.
0: <laughs> so uh, let's hear a little bit about yourself. Um, I, sure. I read a little bit about you. You're uh, you're from Virginia originally, correct?
2: Yeah so i I did the first like thirteen years of my life in Tennessee in uh, the town of Clarksville, which is north west of nashville um, and it's a it's a military town so super transient and um, growing up there, my uncle was the pastor, and my mother was the worship leader at our church, not the worship pastor because of course women can't be pastors duh um but my mother, just was this powerhouse of a woman who was the life of that church. Um, she ran VBS and she ran the children's ministry and she led worship at our church and did it in this really fun, authentic way and just wanted people to love. Like like that's what my mother taught me those. And I'm that's probably why I still have my faith is because of my mother. To be truthful. Um, so we grew up in that space and age nine, I went to the Jesus camp and I gave my life to Jesus. Cause like there was just this whole, you know, people like I've described as just like, you know, if you feel like your heart's about to beat out of your chest, that's probably the Lord saying something and just like, or I could just be having like a really intense emotional reaction to a bunch of stimuli happening in the backwoods of Tennessee. <laughs> um, but either way, like, you know call it what you will, but like, I I do remember in that moment, like when I said, and I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, like I had this like rush in my bloodstream and I just like started hooping and hollering and crying and like running around. I'm like nine years old. And so I don't know what the hell is going on (laughs) with my body. So I'm just like, I was already already a weird kid as it was. So just like people just chalked. It It was like, i was just Kevin being weird and eccentric because that's what he does. But it was honestly this moment of just, I was just so filled with joy. And that was the strangest, most beautiful thing. But then how it happened later on was that like, I remember going back to church and uh, there was someone there who, when I I was worshiping in a worship service and I closed my eyes and I put my hands up like I did a Jesus camp Um, and someone said, you need to stop being so dramatic. And I was severely confused because, you know, I was in this moment where I was connecting to God and someone, it it made them uncomfortable. And I didn't understand why it made them uncomfortable because like I was feeling, I was feeling the spirit, I was close to God. And so that was kind of like where it happened. Um, the first time I got the pushback against my experience with the spirit, Which was so strange to me um and then fast forward uh my dad's military and so we moved up to virginia and um in virginia that's where i went through you know this horrible thing called puberty and like my voice dropped from like i was a soprano in the all-city choir and i was amazing like i was the soprano um And I got it from my mama too, and she was super proud. Then, like, when my voice changed, I was super ashamed because, like, I could no longer hit those notes and huge identity crisis for me (laughs) as a young, budding homosexual. (laughs) Um, But uh, it was just really tough, like, my relationship with myself. And I wasn't athletic. Like, singing was the only thing I had. So, like, when that was taken away from me because of puberty, like, I was really shaken up. Um, But, like, you know, like... uh, I got used to it. That was kind of like that's more of like a weird footnote, Um, because it was like high school was when we're living in Virginia and Williamsburg. um, I I realized I started with that I was attracted to dudes rather than being attracted to guys, and I I was kind of a late bloomer. Like I didn't realize that's what it was until high school, like freshman year. I remember it. It was Miss Trian arts foundations class, and we are drawing spheres. And learning how to shade spheres and I remember I looked over and I saw this dude and I was like I noticed him and then it was like dot 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 oh shit I notice this guy who's sitting across from me in art foundations class and I lost my shit because I'm a Christian and Christians don't deal with that my parents are going to kill me because we're still involved in a very um, conservative church. Like, conservative to the point of, like, let me give you an example. The pastor said two things that have always stuck with me. One, during the 2008 elections, he told us that based on who we were voting for, and it was uh, Barack Obama, and who ran against Barack Obama the first time? Was that Romney? Uh,
0: McCain. McCain. Was it McCain who ran the first time? Yeah, it was McCain the first time, and then Romney the second time.
2: Okay. So... Our pastor told us that because of who we might vote for, we might usher in the very end of the age, (laughs) (laughs) as if Barack Obama was like the fifth horseman of the apocalypse or something. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and then the other thing was is like uh, when Ellen DeGeneres was a judge on American Idol, he like implored us to not watch, um, don't watch American Idol because Ellen DeGeneres is a lesbian and she might like spread her lesbianism all over your home <laughs> through the tv through the, through american idol and the thing is it wasn't don't not watch american Idol because like you know it has something like the word idol in it and people want to get like all- <laughs> but don't watch it or, or don't watch it because like it's just bad television <laughs> don't watch it or don't even don't watch it because ellen degeneres as a tv personality has no business hosting a music slash singing show you know <laughs> or judging yeah. it for that matter <laughs> But don't watch it because she's a lesbian. And I'm like, this is so strange to me. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's the kind of environment we were in. And I am. Um,
0: and I'm sorry, did it have any sort of like denominational affiliation?
2: Uh, it was one of those like Southern evangelical nods and Okay,
0: okay. Um, so kind of like de facto Baptist or uh, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Yeah, um,
2: our pastor went to Johnson Bible College. It was very much like a, a Baptist yeah kind of with
0: the world I'm familiar with that school so.
2: <laughs> except for we took our communion every week so
0: <laughs> yeah uh, that's that's similar to uh to the kind of church my my grandmother um goes to uh, and and actually they they take trips to Johnson Bible uh,
1: uh, uh, but it's in southern
0: Johnson. Indiana so uh, which is kind of more it's more similar to Kentucky than Indiana um, it's kind of an interesting place. <laughs> but anyways um you were you were in this environment oh um, uh, yeah and you have this realization about yourself that yeah. you're, you're attracted to men
2: yeah and so i freak out um i tell like only one of my like friends in high school it's like i come out and like also at the time like i i didn't really have language around it because like i don't know anything i just know that me being attracted to boys is bad um And I was talking to my friend and I was telling her, I was like, hey, like, I think I'm attracted to guys." She's like, oh, you might be bisexual. I'm bisexual. And I'm like, what? And this is like my best friend who I had there, like, like the only friend I had from middle school because she was the only person who would talk to me. Um, And so like in the moment that I came out to her, she said, oh, yeah, I'm bi. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'm bi. So for a long time, I identified as bisexual because I think. I legitimately wanted to be attracted to women. And if I was bisexual, then like, it really wouldn't matter because I could still marry a woman and it wouldn't be that big a deal in the long run. I would just never act on my attraction towards men, ever. Um, and I, even in, in high school, I dated two preacher's daughters. And I was a like, gold star of a boyfriend because um, boundaries were never an issue because I never wanted to cross any boundaries and have sex with these girls. And I also thought that I was just like this, like, you know, pinnacle of, like, male self-control because I just, you know, I wasn't having sex. I wasn't going too far. I'd only make out very little and never go horizontal with the girlfriend because I didn't want to, but also just something you didn't do. Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
2: Fast forward a year. So now it's like sophomore year of high school. um, Me and my dad get into this stupid fight about, um, like, I was in theater, and I wanted to study theater in college. And, like, I'm a sophomore. I don't know what the hell I want to do. But, like, he felt it, like, imperative to tell me that this is not a viable option for my future. And he said, and by, in anyways, most people in theater are gay. Can you imagine if somebody thought that about you? And I froze in this moment of, like, sheer terror and... It was only a moment because, like, I quickly tried to, like, take it all back in. And I feel like my dad, like, saw that he struck a chord with me. Um, And, like, I went up to my room and, like, cried my eyes out because I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is the day I'm going to get kicked out of my house. And he comes up to my room and says that he's sorry for yelling at me, which is the only time I remember my dad yelling. Or, excuse me, the only time I remember my father apologizing for anything. And he says, "Um, well, I'm sorry for this. But I, I do have a question. He's like, are you having trouble at school? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, is is there someone who's, like, being a bully to you? I'm like, no. I almost feel like he, like, w- was, like, trying to, go, like, exhaust every option before I he got to the one he did. And then so he's like, is it a problem with sex? Is it a problem with drugs? And so when he asked if it's a problem with sex, I say, not exactly. And he's like, um, are you gay? And I'm like, uh, kind of. Like, that was my answer to my dad about whether I was gay. I was like, kind of, kind of gay. Um, and then he told my mother that afternoon. She freaked out. Um, and within a week, I was in a reparative therapy situation in the next city over. Um, because it was, this is, was my only option. Like This was, like, how I was going to get healed. And on top of that, I was terrified of, of not being in relationship with my family, I was afraid I was going to get kicked out if I chose to like be openly gay. I knew that the, my church would never be okay with it, and on top of that, like I was afraid I was, I was probably like I was like if hell's real, and I choose to be gay, that means I'm choosing to sin, and if I'm choosing to sin, I'm choosing to be in direct rebellion to God. And if I'm in direct rebellion to God, I'm going to hell. Like that was like the line of thinking is that if I'm choosing to give in to these feelings at any point. I am forfeiting salvation, um, and so because of that, I I bought in, like I bought into the reparative therapy line of thinking about, you know, your sexuality was damaged somewhere along the line by something or somebody or a lack of relationship with your same-sex parent, and so, um, so like I started like really wanting badly to like prove myself to be a man or whatever even though like I, I was never a stereotypical guy ever like i was in theater i was in the choir i was artistic and sensitive and but like very much like i wanted to be like i kind of like just kept comparing myself with like you know like king david was all these things and he was sensitive and he was still a warrior but I'll like it was just like this whole really really fucked up way of looking at masculinity and what it meant to be a man
0: so machismo was kind of part of that their mo as well at that therapy location
2: oh yeah so i started off going to just individual like little like one-off things because i was 16 at the time so i couldn't join a group Um, but when i was in college um i I went to there's this brief spell of time I think it was about maybe like a year year and a half where I was like like half in and half out of the closet like I was like I I dated a guy for a couple months and then he broke up with me and I um, I kind of just like was living the double life as one does in these sort of deals Um, for my first couple years of college like high school continues I tell my parents that I'm healed or whatnot or that God is delivering me or like I feel like I have the tools necessary to keep going and get to college, my dad decides he no longer wants to be married to my mother and leaves, and I flip my shit again. And, and I think God's punishing me for letting sin into the camp that I didn't try hard enough. I wasn't doing enough. And because of that, God um, punished my family with my dad leaving because that makes sense. Like, it was, like, again, it was one of those things where just, like, you know, when you're in that position of wanting so badly to please God, you think everything's your fault. Yeah, it's yeah. exhausting. It's exhausting.
0: Yeah, I, I can. I, yeah, and I don't even want to say I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's that's very heavy.
2: Yeah. So, um, and so when Dad left, I just decided that I was going to do whatever the hell I wanted to, and um, after that, I came sort of came out at school, didn't come out to my family, was dating guys. Um, But then like, I still felt super guilty. So my sophomore year of school, I joined another, of my own volition, joined like another reparative therapy group through Living Waters at my local church. And I was in the same room, in the same group as guys who just struggled with pornography, with masturbation, with uh, being unfaithful to their wives, um, and so it was honestly it was mostly straight men in the room with like the exception of like one other guy who was like married for 40 years but was a gay man and like was like, li- like literally like so he hated himself so, like I remember him so vividly but he just hated himself and so being in the space I was thinking i just like is this it is like if, is this what this work looks like in the long run that I'm just gonna like you know, still be gay, you know, 30 years later and just hate myself because I can't not be gay. Like, this sucks. Um, and so like, I, I kind of had this like realization. It's like, I just, I don't want this. Like, I don't want to be a part of this group anymore. And, um, so I, I quit and, uh, you know, that's when I used, I started using drugs instead. So I got pretty involved, like, painkillers were my big thing, um, you know, snorting Adderall at parties just for fun, um, and just kind of, like, being generally strung out a lot of the time because I, I just didn't want to feel anything. Um, not to mention, like, I was a high-performing student on campus, and I, everyone knew who I was. I became the homecoming king. I was doing so much because I did not want to stop and deal with my own emotions. Mm-hmm. And it eventually started leading to, and I started, I started like not dating. I wasn't dating anyone as far as I I was concerned I was asexual because I just didn't want to date. Um, and I hated, um, like I really like hated myself and it, it manifested itself in a lot of really intense anxiety about everything. I, You know, my overextension caused me to start having panic attacks about things. Like, someone would just say, like, a single word, and I would just start bawling my eyes out, and I couldn't stop. Um, And that's when someone said, you should go get therapy. And I'm like, therapy's stupid. Therapy's for people who don't want, you know, who are broken. And I'm not broken. Um, So I started going to therapy. And at the same time I started going to therapy, I started going to church again. And at the same time going to church again, I also joined a fraternity because again, that makes sense.
0: <laughs> so this wasn't a religiously affiliated school you were at?
2: No. We were a public university. Gotcha. Thank God. If like if I went to a Bible college, like I think it'd be a much worse off than I am now. <laughs> Not that I'm even worse off now. I'm actually doing really fairly
0: good. <laughs> um, but uh I understand met- that sentiment for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I th- I have a I have a line in, in in something I wrote recently where I said I went to a Christian college and I I can't say I recommend it and I can't say I can't recommend it either.
2: <laughs> uh, because like it, there's there's weird beautiful moments that happen in those religious circles. Sure,
0: yeah, absolutely. But uh-huh. uh, but there's there's also just something that I think a lot of people have to reckon with um, when when you go through that, um, especially in your it's still basically an extended adolescence. But ah, it's it's yes. good that it's good that given all the other things you're processing, you didn't have that overall environment to yeah. to wrestle with as well.
2: Yeah, thankfully. So,
0: yeah. So you said, so you joined a fraternity, mm-hmm.
2: and it was like what was very interesting was that um, I had rushed Greek life three times and I'd never gotten it. I wasn't going to, except for some friends invited me out. And when I got my bid, it was pretty awesome because I never really belonged to any one group in college and so I finally felt like I had a a place to call my own and like people who were going to be there for me. So fraternity life for me actually turned out to be really fantastic. It was the place where I learned that there was no wrong way to be a guy um, and that they liked me because I was the flamboyant, loud artistic, sensitive person that I was. Not that I was like this like macho stereotypical vineyard vines let's all play croquet okay in our croquis and you know just fuck bitches get money it was like <laughs> it was an actual environment of true gentlemen and for me that was like so amazing um and i know that i'm like i'm the exception to the rule when it comes to greek life um so i uh I don't recommend it for everyone, but for me, it was really good. And so it's interesting. So I I joined this fraternity. I'm learning there's no wrong way to be a guy. And honestly, because of my fraternity, like my faith in Christ was strengthened because I saw parallels between, uh, we call it living for the rich or living up to the ritual, um, which like sets a standard for how we're supposed to strive to be as brothers of Sigma Phi Epsilon. And it's like a standard that we'll never, ever achieve, but we should always strive for. And then I just discovered uh, the verse like, in Matthew 5.48, which is like, be perfect, therefore as your father in heaven is perfect, and I saw that not as a mandate to be perfect, because you can't be perfect, but as a way of just like, I'm always going to strive my hardest for that. And so, it was through my fraternity that I learned that there's no wrong way to be a guy, but then my, my church, on the other hand, was saying, actually, there is a right way to be a guy, and uh, Kevin, you don't really quite fit that, and so... I really liked my church. Like they, they let me lead worship for like pretty much from the get-go, which was so strange. Um, but they, uh, they were really good at loving me in that season, and I learned a lot about um, my own spiritual giftings and like my capacity for worship leading and my the joy that it was to lead um, in that capacity. Because I was getting a degree in music, and I thought that I wanted to be a teacher, but after going to the church I knew it was like you know I know my giftings as a worshiper can be used in this environment and so from then on I wanted to be a worship pastor problem though you can't be a worship pastor and be attracted to boys too because that ain't right and so once again so round three I decided to join a men's sexual health recovery group again because it worked the first two times obviously um but I joined this group that is just from my church, and so like I feel like I can trust these guys more, like, more than anything. Like, I'm sitting in this group, and like it's all these guys saying, it's like, yeah, I did porn this week. Yeah, I masturbated this week. And I'm like, like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, we hate ourselves. We come here once a week to hate ourselves. This is horrible. And I remember there was just one night when I had just had it, and I looked, at everyone in the circle and said, I don't fucking want this. Like, I don't, like, it's just like, just like I, I know what the Bible says about homosexuality. I know what our church says about it. It's just like, you guys, it feels so natural to me. And like, they, like this was like things spewing out of me that i would never vocalized even to myself. I said, being with a guy, holding a guy's hand, kissing a guy, that feels so natural to me. Any time I've ever tried to flirt with a woman, date a woman, be with a woman, it just doesn't feel good. It feels like I, it feels like alarms are going off in my head, and I don't know how to I don't know how to qualify that. And so on top of that, I don't understand why it's such a big deal. Like, and I don't know how to square that up with like what we say about the Bible. And so like for the first time ever, I started voicing just like I don't, I don't know what I believe anymore. And like any good, the church I'm going to at this point is, um, non-denominational, but Pentecostal leaning. So it's, a women are cool in sort of most forms of leadership. Um, but, um, what was interesting this time though, is like prophetic giftings were like emphasized. And so in that moment they said, brother, can we pray for you? And I'm like, of course I'm not going to like refuse someone praying for me and like be an asshole. (laughs) Um, so this guy, yeah, I mean, you know, what I'm talking about like yeah, yeah. Kind of,
0: if you're if you're with Pentecostal people, it's it's kind of like there's a pressure both ways. Like you can't say no,
2: and <laughs> otherwise yeah. it's just like you're shunned a non-believer. <laughs> yeah.
0: But, yeah, yeah, um,
2: So he he prays for me. And he like he straight up says like I have a picture for you. And he said that he saw a picture of me on my wedding day getting married to a woman. And I remember the words so clearly. He said the woman you're going to marry one day is going to be strong enough to stand up to your past and tenacious enough to stand with you in your future. And so, like, I just heard those words and, like, they stuck to me. And then he also said that he saw me holding my son in the delivery room um, one day. And then he also said that the the vision continued and that he saw me standing next to my son on his wedding day. And he, quote, would never have to deal with what you have had to deal with because you're going to do your job as a father. Because, again, sexuality was tied to whether or not your father did a good job or not. Mm. And I, I was at this breaking point where she's just like, okay, either I'm totally wrong and I'm faithless and I'm a horrible Christian, a horrible person, and I just need to just believe. Just believe that I can get better. Just believe it and do it and just bite the bullet. And so I bought in, again, I bought into that vision. And that is what I clung to. Um... So fast forward again. Um, I'm basically crying for two years straight because I can't stop my feelings, but like, I'm still just trying to believe for what God's going to do. And so I think, okay, if I want a miracle, I need to do something big and I need to go where the, the wild of God is. So I get in a, I get in a plane at the end of graduation and I travel around the world as a missionary to like, the asshole cracks of the world where everything I'm sorry, I keep saying asshole.
0: Like it's, so much... it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about that. Speak, speak openly.
2: <laughs> Thank you for that permission. So I go around the world and I had like, it was with the world race, which is an 11 month, 11 country mission trip through the through adventures and missions. Um, and people come back from that, that trip so broken and so fucked up. Like, like, there needs to be some serious intervention. Like, I want to tell people, like, don't go on the world race unless you really want to get fucked up, like, in the head and spiritually because, like, you're going to see some beautiful things but then there's no way to, like, really translate that back into your real life. And so you're basically ruined for everything forever.
0: Is it because uh, of the – the? is it, like, an extended mountaintop experience? Or is, it be, or is it because there's such a mix of high and low?
2: Yes, that's right there. It's it's such – there's so many highs and – like, People romanticize it, like, and in no small part to the great marketing team they have at have Adventures admissions. Like, they make it look like you are walking in the promised land. You know, you go to all these really exotic places, and you read all these blogs about miracles. And like, I'll even say it for myself. Like, I went to some of the most beautiful places on the earth. I saw real life miracles. I had my body healed multiple times. I prayed for people, and I saw people get healed on the spot, like blind eyes open. And ears opened and like, you know, you know, babies who are sick, you know, getting well, like weird, inexplicable, mystical shit that I don't know how to qualify except for I prayed and like, things happened. So, you know, people like, that's why, and that's one of the things like people ask me why I'm still a Christian. I'm just like, I've just seen too much. <laughs> that's really what it comes down to you know, if there were a different word for following Jesus, I would take it. Um, but that's the only reason I'm still a Christian. Is I've seen the craziness that is God. And I experienced mm-hmm. it on this mission trip. The problem was, is that for every single miracle that occurred on the mission field in my presence and through like the lives of my friends who were with me, is I was still waiting on the miracle of my sexuality getting fixed, of becoming straight. And it never happened. And Um, while we're on the mission field, um, we're in Laos and I am a team leader and it's new year's and, um, and like, you know, for me again, like being a team leader was just an extension of like my performance, like wanting to be seen as this awesome person so I can continue to run. Um, but we haven't really had a drink in like over two months at this point and new year's rolls around and it's like in between mission sites. So we're staying in a hostel, and I'm just like, you know what? I'll have a drink with, like, these new friends that we've made yeah. in the hostel. And, like, so I have one drink, and then two drinks, and then, like, six drinks. And the hostel host takes everyone in the hostel to this really sketch-ass bar, buys us all Towers of Fear, and by the end of the night, I'm, like, so lit. And there was a guy who was staying at the hostel who, like, we were pretty much, like, on top of each other. Um, and if it wasn't for one of the girls from my team, literally peeling me off of him and dragging me out of this sketchy club in the middle of nowhere Southeast Asia, um, I probably would have like slept with him, and I don't, I don't even remember who he is, or it it would have ended poorly for everyone involved. I'm sure. But I felt so shameful because of that that and it's you know it's like you know alcohol happens and you like all your inhibitions get thrown out the window and i think it was really telling for me it's like oh this is never going to go away and that's when i kind of like ruminated on the 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 verse that says the the spirit it's like what jesus prayed on the mountaintop when his disciples couldn't even stay awake with him right before he's gonna go get executed it was just like the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and so that really hit home for me, okay, well, maybe that's true for me, like, my spirit wants to be straight, my spirit wants to be attracted to women, but like, my flesh is weak, that's the problem, it's my flesh, like, I am inherently broken, and I can't unbreak myself, I can't fix myself, and God isn't, I don't know if God is ever going to fix this, but just like, I don't. And, like, the question was just like, I don't know how to continue living. I really don't know how to continue living if this is how my life is going to be. Um, And so I started thinking, I was like, okay, like I have to end my body. If I can't fix this, if I can't stop this from happening, if I can't stop from sinning, I have to kill myself because it's the only redemptive way for me to continue this life is to not continue. Because if I don't want to be in rebellion to God, I can't do it anymore. I can't deal with being a disappointment to God. Because that's how I viewed myself. I viewed myself as this huge disappointment, and that God hated me, and that I could never truly be close to God if I was gay. Um, so um, I started thinking about ways to kill myself on the field. And then it like, clicked and said, like, this is stupid. I'm not going to kill myself. The world race is the problem. The world race is like the horrible thing. And so I chucked the deuces to everyone in the middle of the month, hopped on a plane to Abu Dhabi, and spent it with my brother before going home to America, didn't finish the race, and pretty much just like, told everyone in the world like, I didn't want to be a part of their lives anymore. Come home, hoping that I was going to make it better. It doesn't. I tried to kill myself um, twice. Neither one of those times worked. Praise the Lord. Um, and then so at this other point, when I wake up from another failed suicide attempt, um, I think, okay, I'm still alive, and maybe that means something maybe there's a different way to look at this stuff so this is when like my thinking starts shifting on everything um because it was it's it's like it's like most things like when you have like this grand break from your you know what you've always known when you finally say like maybe there's a different way to think about this you think about everything differently so for me i started exploring progressive theology and queer theology and womanist theology and liberation theology all in tandem with one another. And they all sort of started to make sense. Um, But it was one of these things where it was almost like I had all this knowledge from both sides of the conversation and I wanted like womanist theology, totally on board. Um, Liberation theology for people of color. Absolutely. I was there for it. But as far as like, being gay and it being okay like I I had such a system in my mind set up for that that I, I, just, I just couldn't see my way out of it and it didn't help that I went back to my old church which viewed sexuality in a very specific way um, and as I started to think differently about it and started to write about how my thoughts were Evolving, I immediately got shut down by my church. And I wrote an article um, basically saying that maybe Christians should stay out of the, the same-sex marriage debate because really if people are not willing to submit themselves to the authority of a church, then we have no right to dictate our morality to them. Just like they have no right to dictate their morality towards us. I'm just like, that seems pretty logical to me. I said, why don't we just focus on who we are as a people. And that seems logical to me. Um, but apparently, like, it was not cool with my pastors. And uh, I got taken off the worship team, and I got taken off... I was leading a middle school boys youth group, like, a Bible study. Mm-hmm. So immediately, like, I couldn't lead my boys anymore. And it was so confusing to me. I'm just like... Like, these kids are going to ask questions, like, what do I tell them? That... Kevin got in trouble because he thinks differently and encouraged them not to ask questions. That seems stupid. And so it like became very clear to me that I was unable to stay in the space and explore my faith any further because I had reached the limits of what my church was willing to explore or wrestle with.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so you had a breath like you had a question.
0: Oh, Um. so did you feel like when when you wrote that article, did you feel like you, it was more of an a political stance or a religious argument that you were making? Because, I mean, those two things are so muddled and so mixed up together. that It's hard to extricate themselves from one another, especially in evangelical circles. Um, yeah. But whenever you wrote the article and whenever your local church, like within this specific cir- circumstance, um, how was it taken? Was it taken as <laughs> something more more political or was it just this person... Um, has gone beyond the bounds of what we feel comfortable with on both those fronts or either of those fronts.
2: I think it's all of the above, because I think for myself, it's like, I, I've i never been one who's been really good at trying to, I don't know, separate myself out into like, this is my spiritual life and these are my political beliefs and this is my da-da-da-da-da. Sure, yeah. Like, I, I've always been... I've always been like really centered around the idea of just like I've been given this one life and like everything, you know, now the words I use is like Richard Rohr's, everything belongs.
0: Sure. Yeah. And so,
2: but like, I think like I always felt that way even before I had the language for it because for me, religious and political expression were, you couldn't separate the two. You yeah. know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. Wendell Berry has a, has a similar idea in a couple of his essays that it's a more of an integrated whole and this separation between spirit and flesh is ridiculous. And yeah. the incarnation flies in the face ah. of it. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. and I mean, it's literally the, the divine made flesh, um, yeah. in a very literal sense. And so I, yeah, I, I understand that. And I'm a, I'm also a very big uh, Richard Rohr fan, so um, he's
2: I want to sit at his feet and just like listen to him like talk about the rain or like, <laughs> yeah. oh it's nice weather we're having, i like, yes, it is <laughs> tell me more about that
0: <laughs> absolutely um,
2: so they they freaked out, um, not really freaked out but I, I decided to leave and so I applied for the intern- internship at Adventures and Missions, believe it or not because it felt like I felt like, like you know what if I gave them another chance like you know, Adventures and Missions is this place where, like, we agree that the power of the Holy Spirit is, like, the thing that binds us all together, even though we disagree on certain, um, you know, like, even, like, people's theologies are vastly different at Adventures and Missions, but they all agree in, like, with, like, these five tenets of what it is to be a part of Adventures culture. And I'm like, I believe in those things. I'll go serve with them. So I interned there for six months in their marketing department, you know, learning copywriting, um... Social media management, um, how to write. I, be, I I wrote my first book in three months when I was there and it's like the shittiest, it's a shit book. I never publish it anywhere. It's not ever going to see the light of day.
0: <laughs> hey, you uh, did it. That's great. Yeah,
2: I, I pumped out like 60,000 words and they exist on my hard drive. So maybe, <laughs> maybe one day when I write like a tell-all, I'll pull that one out.
0: <laughs> there you go.
2: <laughs> um, but uh, while I'm there, I still have in my head, like I don't really know where I land on same-sex relationships or anything like that. I'm kind of in this place of just like, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to go seek God because I feel far from God. Um, and I want to feel like that day when I was leaving on the World Rights, like I want to feel the sense of like God is like so close to me and God is miraculous and crazy and like I want to feel good again. And that's like, you know, I think that's a mark of spiritual unhealth. It's like, this is like, I want to feel good. I want to I feel like, I want to feel like the Holy Ghost high
1: mm-hmm. all the
2: time. And that is what I chased. Um, was like these like beautiful mystical experiences that I, I experienced abroad but wasn't experiencing at home. So winter went to Adventures and Missions. Um, I was getting a lot of that. Um, and still kind of hoping for the miracle of my sexuality getting fixed. But I would also like... I kind of come to grips with the fact, I was like, okay, my attraction towards men might never go away, but that doesn't mean that I can't still date women because like, I am bisexual or whatever or I wanted to be bisexual or something like that. I don't really know. I think I, I identified that way, but I really wasn't. Um, I just didn't want to be untrue that I could marry a woman, I think. So being the good Christian man that I am, um, I was—I quickly started to see a woman while I was at Adventures and Missions, and we dated for about three months. And um, I genuinely enjoyed my time with her. Like we had fun. She was really cool, stylish. Like by all accounts like aesthetically, she was a gorgeous human and kind human, godly woman. And so, of course, like every other person I saw around me, is like, oh, we've been dating for three months. I guess we should start talking about getting engaged you know i guess i should meet her family i guess she should meet my family you know the whole nine yards of just like because like that's what i saw because in christian southern evangelical world you know you do you
0: move fast
2: (laughs) yeah because it's better to be married than to burn with lust right and you know i so desperately and i not to mention like I wanted to be a worship pastor so bad, and I wanted a partner who wanted to 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 be who had the same vision for their life, and we did because, like, my vision was at adventures and missions. Her vision was there too, um, and we were, you know, it, it was it was so it was such a confusing time. Even looking back at it now, like, I I look at it and say, Kevin, what the fuck were you thinking? But then, like, when I really like it out. I was like, "Oh, you were going with the script that was handed to you, and this is how dating works. This is how attraction works." And what's so funny is that um, I noted later on that I was writing about it is that like I didn't really know what attraction felt like towards women or in general. Like it was just like, "Oh, maybe this is what all guys feel like when they're dating women. Is like it's a choice. Love's a choice, and..." You know, yeah, she's hot, yeah, I totally can see that she's hot, yeah, we like each other, so like, oh, yeah, we kiss and stuff so like, r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r. so that's I didn't know any different, so for me, I assumed just like everybody felt that way, everybody felt this like weird anxiety about you know staying at their girlfriend's apartment on the couch when you were a little too tipsy to drive home, um, but uh. It kind of came down to it when we were on a road trip to meet her family. I yeah. was, uh, we were so, driving, and, and I just, it kind of clicked with me. It was just like, this isn't going to work. Like, it was like, there's two, like, in. I was talking to myself. I was like, this isn't going to work, is it, Kevin? I was like, nope, this isn't going to work because you don't really love her. And you probably can never love her because, Kevin, you're gay. And it's like, oh, no. And so, like, we're sitting across, like, the, the, the like, we're up at her parents' house in, the, in, like, the mountains of Virginia, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to break this girl's heart, and I'm terrified to do so. Um, so we break up. I, I eventually tell her why. I was like, hey, cousin I'm gay. And, like, I had told her before that I dated men in college and that I was attracted to men, but I just didn't want to act on it because I felt like God was leading to me to have a relationship with a woman, and she was down. She was really cool with it and really wanted, she didn't understand she was willing to work through these things, and, but then it was like, no, like I can't love you. Like, you need to be loved. Um, and then uh, I feel like I want to kill myself again. But then, strangely enough, we break up. This is like, just to give you like a time reference, I guess, May of 2014, uh, was it, 15? May of 2015, yeah, May of 2015. So, like last year, actually, Um, a Reformation Project is holding their conference in in Atlanta.
0: I end up getting Matthew Vines. uh
2: Yeah, yeah, that's Matthew Vines' organization um, Mm -hmm. that he started, Um, and I, through a bunch of like strange circumstances, end up getting to go to this conference, and. I kid you not, I walk into the room and I sit on the front row because i'm I'm a front rower always like whether it's like a concert <laughs> um, mostly because like mostly because if I sit anywhere like with anyone behind me, I'm gonna get distracted by the back of their heads because like my a d d cannot not. handle it <laughs> um, um and also like i'm a I'm a charismatic worshiper, and so like I have to have room for my arms and my body. Movements. <laughs> Um, Yeah, you got that
0: extra legroom in front.
2: So, um, but I go in there and the worship band starts playing, and I have the same exact feeling I do when I was nine years old at Jesus Camp with like this upwelling of just presence. And I feel God on me and in me. For what feels like the first time in so long, and just like these words of love being poured over me, and I just start weeping because, like, for so long I thought that I had to be different for God to love me, and I was so keenly unaware that the entire time God already loved me. Like, I look back at all these different prophetic words that I was giving people over the years, just like, oh, God was saying that he really loved me for who i was and i just i couldn't hear it because i was so desperate to be somebody else and it just it just changed me forever and that was the moment it's like okay i'm gay and god loves me because of this not in spite of this and it's okay what do i do now because i'm working for this you know Christians Missions organization and I don't have a job and I don't really have any marketable skills I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do but I know this I encountered God tonight and I want to follow that God wherever that God is going to lead me, like I want to follow Jesus um, and so I made the choice when I got back to start coming out to people um, started coming out to my family, to my bosses and it became super clear at my At Adventures and Missions, that there really wasn't going to be a place for me there anymore because the 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 culture there really wasn't ready for it, which was super unfortunate, and it made me super sad because like I wanted my life to be at Adventures and Missions. I wanted it to be a place where I could work through, you know. At first, I was like pioneer, like gung ho, like I'm going to change Adventures and Missions. I'm going to make them an inclusive space. I'm going to make them look at this differently and like i was unprepared for like the coldest of shoulders from everyone mm. um and it was like the one thing they could not handle um and the one thing they were unwilling to engage with was sexuality because there was still one way to do it and so i left um and i honored my boss's wishes to not come out until after i had gone and i had left adventures moved into this shitty basement of I went with my best friend, Casey, who was also on the World Race with me. But we, um, we just, that's when it came out. I put it on the internet and it then ensued to be like the craziest year of my life. Um, and uh, I, I kind of like, it kind of all just like everything that hit me from before, all my readings on like, like womanism and liberation theology and queer theology. Kind of just like everything I'd already learned. It's like, okay, now I need to learn how to put this into practice. Um, and so I, I worked for a tech company for a while. And then I was working for an LGBT nonprofit before I got laid off. And um, now I'm writing and podcasting about it. And, yeah, it's been a very interesting year. Like, literally, like, September 8th of 2015 was when it came out. And it is now just over a year since then. And now I'm going to speak at a college in a couple months. I am leading worship at two different queer queer Christian conferences coming up, um, and it's very good. Like, it's a very interesting change of scene. Um, so yeah, that wow. is the that's the short version with like not many tears. <laughs> Because like if I'm ever giving like my quote unquote testimony, um, when it comes to specifically like my sexuality, like people, people weep, I weep, <laughs> everybody weeps. <laughs> but I figured you wanted a more coherent conversation.
0: Uh, I mean that that was a that's a very harrowing story. I mean you you have this back and forth of um, just this difficult conversation with yourself and with your family And, and honestly
2: like i think it was just like this back and forth between like god was already okay with the fact that i was gay but just like i was just fighting it like it's just like i feel like the 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 phrase that always makes me cry every time i don't care what in what context it's read but just like from first corinthians when it starts in the love chapter when it says love is patient and I hear that, and I'm just like, "Damn! Like, love is patient. Like God ha- was so patient with me the whole time. It's like, God it's like, when we're children, like we are given this beautiful, perfect identity with our relationship with God. God, God loves me. Period. That's the end. And we we muck it up. We complicate it. I complicated." it's so much and like you know like you know partly my own fault partly like the fault of the environment i grew up in but just like either way through all of it god was so patient with me and my own learning processes i had to go through in order to get to where i am now and that just like knocks my socks off That just man
0: yeah I think it's I think it's another Richard Rohr statement where we don't learn by doing it the right way we learn by doing it the wrong way um,
2: all, which, good, all real religious people know that that's you stumble into the path
0: yeah uh, absolutely um one of the things uh one of the things that you've written has been about um use metaphor of the House of cards and that you oh. had built up this sort of house of cards that was centered around this thing that is very central to your identity, but you had a, you, you had, you were uncomfortable with it being central and it, it was, it was in conflict with your understanding of God and, and everything. Um, now that you've gone, now that you've gone through this, and you are being, you're very, you're very open, and you're you're learning in public in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. What do you want to communicate to someone else that's that's going through this? And I know that's really <laughs> open ended, um, but I I really love that what you said in, um, in I think that same essay uh, was that to not question is the dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, yeah and, um, <clears throat> sorry, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Sorry. Clear Um, my throat, sorry.
2: (laughs) That's cool. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of us growing up, and I'll just like for people who didn't read that, I'll recap it a little bit, but but a lot of us growing up were given like a pack of cards and this pack of cards is like what faith is. And in that pack of cards, we've got doctrine, theology, um, how we do community together, what is acceptable and what is not as acceptable, purity culture, all down the line. And we stack all these different things up into a house of cards and it's it's beautiful and it's pristine and it is fragile. And we're taught also not to question it because if you question it, uh, if you try to examine one of these cards, if you try to move it or adjust it, or, um, or if you let somebody get too close of it, too close to that house of cards, the entire thing can come crashing down which is why I think so many people, myself included, when we, are, when we encounter something or someone or something happens to us, it's like any, anything that is, you know, categorically absurd. It's things like, uh, you know, your sexuality being something that's not straight, um, in my case. Or we encounter, uh, when people encounter poverty for the first time and it really impacts them. And or we we realise, oh, there are actually people in this world who are dying because they can't drink clean water and your heart breaks and you're just like, how can God be real if dot dot? Um it's suffering. We encounter suffering and we don't know how to deal with it because our framework that we were given and built, you know, doesn't have room for suffering. There's no flexibility in it. Yeah. And so Um, I think it's a lot like, you know, people, like someone in their life, they die and people just don't know how to deal with it because they were never taught how to deal with with suffering and and mourning and, you know, for them, God is the God of victory, you know, not the God who who weeps with us. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we start that that process, like, you know, we have to be willing to, like, let the cards fall and truthfully, let the cards fall where they may, to use a different, like a popular expression. Yeah. Um. But like it's hard for people because like if you question one thing, you kinda have to question it all because that's how rigid it is. Um so even for like my family, for example, like I don't even know how much they've really wrestled with like what they think about me being gay, because it's like if you like if it's like I believe in the Bible, I'm just like, Okay, if you believe in the Bible like literally, like you say you do, then I am I should be stoned. Um, or like burned at the stake, and definitely like ousted from the community because I am uh, homosexual, as it were. Um, so like it's like people don't even have like a their own biblical literacy up to know what they believe. And so it's one of these things like I I often like I add, like my big thing is I don't really want to tell people what to believe because I know even as sure as I am about stuff I could be wrong. I absolutely could be wrong about everything that I believe. But so could everybody else. And I think that 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 place of being okay with I don't really know. You know, I can be fairly certain of everything. Um and I think that's where like once you get past, like, the whole I'm angry at religion and God and, and my parents and the system of belief and Christianity, once we get past that place of I'm angry with everything, then we can say like, okay, what do I believe? What do I think about all these experiences that I've walked through? Where was God in that? Um, and that's when I think healing can start taking place. Um, because, like, I still, you know, even though I, I definitely I don't identify as an evangelical anymore. Um, But I still go to, like, an evangelical-leaning, non-denominational, Pentecostal-ish, hipster church in Atlanta. (laughs) Um, it's, It's very... I don't know. But it's one of these things where just... If I were to tell anybody, like, one thing, it's, like, go ahead and ask the question. Like, um... Who was it? It was Freud. Freud said that there's no sexual fantasy too absurd to speak out loud um, or too deprived to speak out loud. And notice that like, Freud says, speak, not act on. And so I wanted to like, so like the question is just like, what if we could say everything we were feeling? What if we could ask every question that we ever had and it'd be okay? Because a lot of us were told that questions are not okay, that it wasn't okay to feel certain things. But what if it was okay to feel everything? I think that's the invitation that God has for us: is that everything you're feeling as someone who's like you're questioning everything, you're questioning your faith, your sexuality, what you think about guns, violence, da-da-da-da. like whatever it is, feel it completely and ask the question because you're never going to get past it unless you get it out of your body. Yeah, and it, that's like just. And I think the second biggest thing is that you're okay. What you feel is okay. And that everything is going to be okay. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not today. But eventually, it's going to be fine. I think if I could tell myself that at the beginning of my coming out journey that it was good, that it's all okay, like I would have been a little bit more chill, maybe. <laughs> so, does that answer the question? Yeah. I don't know if I even like
0: yes it does i i I love that so that was that was a very very good response <laughs> another thing and another thing I really appreciate about your writing and and your show is that you you do take a, a very holistic view of people of yourself um and that's definitely very understanding given the journey you've been on. When, again, like Wendell Berry has has this thought of, there's no like body flesh dualism. There's the, mm-hmm. yeah. the one singular person, mm-hmm. um, and you have a uh, an essay that uh, titled uh, "I Can't Check My Gay Identity at the Church Door," and in that you say it is all me, which I really like that as well. But when it comes to, um, when it comes to basically. Uh, conversing with or or being in an evangelical, um, environment. Um, do you, do you think it's worthwhile to continue to, and do you see it as worthwhile to continue to engage um, about these conversations in those environments? Or do you feel like it's something that need, just needs to be, um, moved sort of beyond? Um, the reason I kind of phrase it that way is that, um, again, sort of, at, well, in this essay, you talk about it, about your sexuality being a central part of yourself, um, an essential part of yourself as well. Um, and I totally agree as a, as a straight person, it's not something that I, that I question. And it's only because it's socially, it's, it's socially acceptable, so to speak um, yeah. for me to identify that way. Um, that's the only reason why it's not in question in, in the way that, that a non-hetero, um, non-cisgender person, um, is. Um, and, and this is where, this is where, even though I'm very much an ally, I still get clumsy with my words. (laughs) I always, I'm always afraid of, of saying the wrong thing. Um, but, (laughs) (laughs) but the, really what I, um, what I wonder, um, for what I, what I wonder is in regards to issues like this is there something is the, is the right work Or is the right sort of um, Approach to try to Redeem or re- reform uh, Evangelical circles In regards to this or is it to um, Work on Building a different type of community mm.
2: uh, Both And <laughs> And that's always like my answer For everything is like yes to both Yes yes and dot 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 um, cause I, I have this belief and this feeling like, I mean, like evangelicalism is where I grew up and like, I got my, it's where like my roots are. So like, whether or not, like I like it, like there's still a part of me, like I can still go, I can pick up a hymnal and I can sing every song in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or I can, I still enjoy Wednesday night fried chicken dinners with people. And, um, my family is still very much part of that world. So it's one of these things where like, I think about it this way, as much as I want queer people to be free, to be who they are completely. And I want everyone like that same freedom that I have found through following Jesus you know, in the new way that I've discovered of following Jesus, God wants that person who is holding up a God's hates fag sign to experience the same freedom. Like God wants every single pastor who was preached against LGBTQ people to experience the same joy, the same freedom to love that I have experienced and that you know how to, and that you've experienced by becoming like, you know, like wrestling through all the big questions as much as I hate to admit it. God loves everyone, including the people that I, that have wounded me, including the people who want nothing more than for me to, uh, go to hell and who think I'm going to hell, you know, actual hell too, not even metaphorical hell. Um, <laughs> But it's it's one of those things where um, and I'm always going to be someone who prizes the needs and well-being of the victimized and marginalized above the feelings of the powerful majority. Um, I absolutely think just like if you need to go somewhere else and do something else and be somewhere else to experience healing in your life then go do it. But I think for me, I have a specific call in my life to live in between these two spaces of wanting to bring them along with it. Because it's like, it's like, man, there's a wedding feast over here, guys. There's joy. It's so easy to love on this side. Like, don't don't you want that? Don't you want to feel closer to God? Um, so it's one of these things where just like this conversation, like around like sexuality and gender identity. Um, or you know all the other hot button issues. Like, give it twenty years. I mean, like frankly, like it's gonna die out. And that old way of thinking, the the way of that prices you know, the white cisgender patriarchal heterosexist system that is American christianity or american evangelicals i'm not american christianity but like american evangelicalism. i like it's gonna die out simply by virtue of the fact it's not attractive anymore the only people it's attractive to are you know people you know, white world. suburbia yeah. in, in a ways and just like people who like yeah it's only attractive to them and more and more people are waking up to the fact that it's like oh it's not it's like it's it's more than me and i like, i have to do more like i feel like just the spirit is waking people up to this higher consciousness as higher way of being, and so I think these conversations need to be had in both circles. Like we need to have them in the conservative areas because I want them to come too. I don't want to just go off on my own and create my own thing. I'm like that's why I stick around in my own church. I go to a non-affirming, you know, uh, you know, another Pentecostal leaning, non-denominational church, and I'm there because I feel God is, I, I see what the Spirit is doing. Like we're already having conversations around immigrants and Black Lives Matter and women being equal with men, which I think is a really interesting thing. I am like, why do we have to have sermons about this? Everyone is thinking, duh, of course men are equal with women at this church. And you know, the next frontier is gonna be talking about sexuality and gender identity. And I'm there because I believe that this church has potential to be great to be a light to the world. And I feel like within every single person, especially in those conservative places, not only is there great potential, but there's also people who are afraid to think differently than what they've been taught. They're afraid to question. They're afraid to get outside of their own system. They're all thinking there's a better way to do this. There's a better, I know that Jesus Jesus, I know that Jesus loves my gay friends, but I can't say it. I know that Jesus would be in favor of Black Lives Matter and Jesus would be anti-death penalty and Jesus would be everything that my church is not. But I'm so afraid because this is where my community is. This is where my family is. So for me, like there's people I don't want to leave behind. There's people that I want to bring along. Um, And I think eventually in time, like, and I hate that it's like, In my wildest dreams, like things will, you know, five years, like this is going to be all be a distant memory, but just like in my realistic mind, I know it's going to be like 20, 30 years. And granted, like we've made so many great progress, like so much progress since, you know, this conversation started, you know, back at Stonewall and here we are in 2016 and we're talking about me being a gay Christian on a podcast, which is going to go out to however many humans and we can have this conversation and I'm not going to be like stoned in the square because of it. That's right. pretty awesome progress. Yeah. Um, but I also know that like, you know, it's still slow because systems take time to change. Um, oh. And that's like a, a sad reality sometimes. Um, but to answer to sum up the question, it's both and I think there needs to be new things to like new things that we need to create in order to give new expressions to what God is doing. Um, and I also think that these conversations have to be have had in conservative circles because there are people who are getting left behind and people that we need to bring along.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, I I have a very similar heart for people in those sorts of circumstances for similar reasons. And I, I think that's a very. I think that's a very gracious sort of posture to have. Um, just and the thing is, like, not
2: everyone needs to, like. I know people who, and I think honestly, like, it's a gift for me. Like, it's like God. I it, and I think it's a calling. It's a very specific calling that I have um, in my specific circumstance, in my geographic location, and that's what God is doing with my life. I do not think that everyone has to be like. A justice worker. Uh, yeah. You know, some people are just not equipped for it. And I don't want to, I don't want every single person who's listening to this, to think that it's like, Oh, I got to like suddenly start a blog and a podcast. <laughs> it's like start, you yeah. know, church leadership. No, because <laughs> no, for a lot of people, like it's, I think more than it's, anything, yeah. you need to be whole. Yeah. I think if we could learn that we just, we don't like, even if at the end of all this, if my church then it never becomes affirming. Um, I'm more focused on just being whole. Like I thank God every day that therapy is a thing. Um, and more than anything, like that's what God wants for all of us. Cause I think the more that we can become whole, the more it'll just all happen naturally.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And I think you're, you're doing, you're doing great work both, um, online through, through your different presences as well. And also it sounds like you're doing a lot of good things, um, for your local church as well through just your your presence there. Um okay. I, know you know. A, I, I know you've got a I know you've got a time crunch here. Um but uh, where can people find you online?
2: Ah yeah. You can find me on my blog at com. That's T H E kevin Garcia dot com. Um and then Twitter, the Garcia underscore, Instagram at the Kevin Garcia, Facebook dot com slash Kevin. Dot Garcia. Um, but all of that, if you go to my website, is all linked up, um, to all the social media and you can download my ebook, which is titled, are you a practicing homosexual and other questions? I wish you would stop asking me, uh, <laughs> um, uh, that's available for free, um, on my website, along with other, um, other resources. Um, if you're a human who wants to talk about sexuality and faith and culture, and you can also find me on iTunes. If you go to iTunes Podcast Store and look up a Tiny Revolution, you can find my podcast. And I update it mostly every week, except for when I'm super busy and can't. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because homie's got a homie's got a job, and it's sometimes I'm really tired.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's
2: one thing about being like a, like a, a par- only being able to be a part-time creative. It's just like I have to go to like. I have to go. I'm a server right now, so I go and I, I work at the, my restaurant, and then I come home and I write my blogs and
0: Yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta scratch that itch for sure. You gotta hustle. <laughs> <laughs> I all
2: sunshine and rainbows, and you come out. sometimes you still gotta serve up a burger to a customer
0: too. <laughs> That's right. Well, the Kevin Garcia, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I really hey. appreciate you sharing your story um, hey. and for talking. It's it's been great.
2: Thanks, man. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing more of what you do. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. I like you. I think you're fun. I want to talk more. Let's Have, be friends. Absolutely.
0: I totally agree. <laughs> Have a good cool. night. Bye. Bye.
1: have to think about